Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. Good morning, everybody. My name's Neil. Apparently, I'm speaking today. I just found that out a couple seconds ago. Did not know that. Bronson let us know. I'm totally kidding. Uh, my name's Neil. My wife, Jean, and I, we are really privileged and honored to be here on the team. There's a bunch of uh, incredible people, including Levi. That was amazing. Levi has a tent. My gosh. I, I love that. Um, hey, we, we, like you said, we're in this, we're in this series, The Gospel how it is the good news. The gospel is the good news. And he started off, Bronson kicked it off about three weeks ago, uh, where we talked about week one was uh, the problem of sin. He went all the way back and he started talking about original sin, went all the way back to Adam and Eve. And we started there where the root of everything was. And then week two, we talked about the problem of purpose. And he talked a lot about how Jesus, in John chapter four, Jesus went to the well, the woman at the well, and how he sought her out. He approached her. We talked about purpose. This week we're going to talk about, uh, this is a good one, uh, we're going to talk about the problem of pain. And yeah, I've got one all right on that. Thank you. Appreciate that. That is uh, that's good. There will be more by the time this is over. Uh, so we're talking about the problem of pain. And I want to, I want to tell you guys a story really quick before, while we're waiting to get into this. We're going to look at a, a body of text, and that is why Eric Watts, look, he plays bass, but he has the voice of a bassist, like the, the, the volume of the bass, the low end in his voice, incredible. He's going to read scripture here in a second. Before we get to that, there's a guy, his name is James Maroon. James Maroon, as of September 11th, 2010, so 11 plus years ago, uh, he used to be on staff. He was one of the facility managers uh, at the World Trade Center, and he was there the day that the planes hit, and he'd been a facility manager there for years. And starting on September 10th in 2010, he started doing one of the most thankless jobs that has ever existed. He climbs down a long flight of stairs, he and one other person, they clean the pools of water that are at the 9-11 memorial. The ones when you look down, so, at, so 10 years of, of cleaning everything up and then building the tower, he volunteered to go down and do this. He said, listen, I, w- I want to do this job. And he gets there at about 1030 at night. His shift starts at 11 and he works for almost eight hours when no one is there, no one sees. And he cleans every square inch of these pools by himself. And he does this and has been doing it for 11 years. Time Magazine asked him, they said, hey, why do you do this? Like, why, what, is the, what is the point of all this? He said a couple things. He goes, first of all, I do this because I see the people who travel here every single day. They come from all over the world and they pay their respects. He goes, but here's the real reason. He said, I choose to get in there and help clean up the mess for other people so that when someone comes and they're having a moment where they're wrestling with pain, there's no distractions in it. We're going to look at a section of scripture. Uh, It is in John chapter 11. That's where our main text is. And uh, and Eric is going to read us through this. This to set it up is a, a section of scripture where Jesus has just found out that one of his friends, Lazarus, has died. 
And all these people kept coming to him and asking him to come and help. And, and Lazarus has died. And we're going to pick this up in uh, John chapter 11, verse 32 through 45. We're in the NIV, and we'll actually put it up on the screens for you as well. Eric? Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to hear this. I'm be nervous. So happy. No pressure, right? Okay. <laughs> John eleven thirty-two. 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, man. He has a, there's a Venmo that you can send him money. If you would like him to read scripture for you on a daily basis, he will do it. Invest now. Oh, I love that, dude. Um, if you have ever lost a loved one, odds are, if you're in here, you, you've lost a loved one. Um, it's really tough, and that's what Jesus was right in the middle of. But think about, you know, when's the last time maybe you lost a job, or you had somebody that was very close to you. Maybe they hurt you. They said some things. Or they did some, some things to you. We, we can get very frustrated in times like this, and, and it's because with this concept of there's this loving God who's out there, and he's going he's gonna to rescue us all the time. A lot of us, if we're honest... We can get caught up in this mentality of God, that God really, he, he exists. It's, it's, a, it's almost like a misconception. We, and we tend to think that God really exists to rescue us and to, to fix everything all the time. If we're, if we're just being honest, and I know I've, I've been there, I, I do it. Um, if, if you've lost a loved one, what we do in those moments, or, or you've gone through a difficult time or a difficult moment, what you do if you're a parent in that scenario, or if you're a, a friend or something like that, you go, man... Like, God, I'm just a human being, but, like, I lost this person, and it's incredibly frustrating, but, like, I, I would have done everything that I could to help him, but, God, you can do anything. Like, why didn't you show up? There are these questions that we ask because of that mindset. Like, God, how, how could you let this happen? And you wouldn't be alone if you thought that. If you've ever gone through a rough moment and you've thought, God, how could you possibly let this happen? You're not, you're not alone because that's actually exactly what is happening here. This whole passage of Scripture, it shows us that one of Jesus' friends dies, and these people say something very, very similar. Like, Jesus, like, you could literally heal a blind man, but all of a sudden, like, you can't do this, or you won't do this. 
and they get really frustrated. And that scripture, like we notice the end result of that is Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Can we please, can we please just not miss that for a second? I don't want to talk about all this stuff and miss the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Can we, we can all agree that's a pretty good point. That's not one of the points in this. I just don't want to gloss over that. But he responds way before that. If you look at that scripture closely, he responds three other times. It says that he wept, which means he cried. That's a response. It also said that he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was troubled. Those are responses that Jesus has in that moment. But we don't think about that because it's not this magnificent thing. And it's such an incredibly complex scripture because what we ask in those scenarios is like, God, why did this happen? Like, why did you, why did you let this happen? Like, we ask why, but I wonder if we should ask what? Like, what happened when Jesus encountered somebody who was sick? What did he do? He would heal. He wasn't passive in it. He healed. He responded. When someone is dead, like Lazarus, he responds. And he doesn't just go, well, he died. Like I said, well, that's my will. You're just going to have to wrestle with that, I guess. He doesn't say that. What does he do? He responds. He had an emotional response at first. But then he acts. He responds to it. So what I love doing when we look at these scriptures is I love looking at the historical context the cultural context, the biblical clues that are in here. I don't just like reading it like just, just you know, straightforward and just kind of blitz through it. I like to figure out what were people in the crowd thinking when they saw it happen. But what we ultimately need to do is we need to look at that scripture and look at what is culturally happening around us right now. Because we read this with very different eyes and ears than what was going on back then. It's a totally different ballgame. Culturally speaking, I'll explain to you how, how we got here. So there's a term for the way that we think in, in culture today. It's called meticulous providence. That is, uh, if you were on the street, you would not say that. If you do, they will, they'll either mug you or they're going to make fun of you, one or the other. But meticulous providence is really the basis for what we would call the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is that God is control, he's in control of, of everything, all things in the universe from like day one. There wasn't even a day one. There hasn't been a day one without God. And think about the cliche statements that we say, that we say in times of, of pain. Like, just think about some things that you've said. If somebody is coming to you, you're like, man, I'm, I'm having a difficult time, or I just had this terrible loss or whatever. We have cliche statements. You know, I know you're thinking of some of them. I wrote a couple of them down. Like, one we always do is like, well, God's in control, brother. Like, you don't, we don't even know what to say with that one. We go, listen, I don't get it, but the best is yet to come. Mm. It's good. It's a little empty, but okay, that's good. Uh, the, one of my favorites is the Lord works in mysterious ways. Like that's, I don't need a mystery here. I don't need a murder mystery. I just need the Lord to work. Or we say sometimes like, well, good or bad, I guess everything happens for a reason. Like, so what's the reason on that one? And that is a, that's a, a very tricky spot to be in. This isn't new. Like we didn't just come up with this now. Augustine, back in the 4th century, just a couple days ago, he came up with this concept. It's not a couple days ago. Um, it's that if something does happen, then it's God's will. But if something doesn't happen, that's God's will. And we can wrestle with that. We, as humans, we wrestle with that because it's a little bit flawed. And here's why it's flawed. Because thinking like this gives us comfort on the front end but it follows it up with a crisis of faith on the back end. Like it's a little bit dicey, like, okay, God, you're sovereign, but my kid is sick. 
You see, what that, you see how that, that's a little bit tricky? There's this back and forth to it. God, I, I know that you have a plan, but I'm still single. I'm in my 30s. I'm encroaching on my 40s. And I don't know if you're ever going to find somebody for me. How is, how is that your plan? Or we say, hey, listen, everything works out for a reason. I just went through one of the most terrible divorces I think ever recorded in human history. God, how is that going to work out for a reason? You see that crisis of faith, that it's that either or. And we, we get messed up in this because we as humans tend to think it's an either or it's an or. We think of it on a line. We're very one-sided to it. We think it's a line. We say either, God, you're in total control or you're not in total control. Or are you sovereign or are you not? And it's not that simple. Instead of a line, we need to think of it more like it's woven together. If we're being honest, I think we can all agree that God is sovereign. Can we, can we do that? Can we agree that God is sovereign? But what we don't seem to agree on is to what extent is God sovereign? Now, that's our humanity thinking. I don't, I don't, I don't want to I don't get into that. Now, we're going to do this. We're going to look at, Caleb, I don't know how long. I mean, I, you, please, dear Jesus, I, please, if you and Eric could follow around and play keys and he could read scripture, I would be happy. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, good. I, just, I, I was like, Caleb is still here, but I love every second of this. I don't want you to go anywhere. All right. Uh, the Lord's Prayer. Let's do this. We're going to look at another section of scripture. And the reason why we're doing this series is we're trying to stick to the gospel so that you can see that Jesus is the answer to everything that we are dealing with. And we're going to look at something that's very familiar. It's, it's uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Very familiar. This is the Lord's Prayer. I would say, I don't know, what percentage do you think in this room knows the Lord's Prayer by heart? 90? Ooh, are we in 90s? So many Christians. Gosh, I'm impressed with you guys. But I think the majority of people know this one. I want to read this for a second and maybe see something that we haven't seen before. You ready? We'll put this on the screen. It says, this then is how you should pray. This is Jesus. He's speaking. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now keep in mind, this is Jesus praying this. And there's something that is in there and it is so subtle. He is praying that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bronson, I think it was like my first week here. He said, we like to say in Little Rock as it is in heaven. Like we want heaven to hit earth. What Jesus is saying here is that earth is a place where God's will isn't necessarily done. But heaven is a place where God's will is done all of the time. Do you see the subtlety in there? Or else why would he have prayed that? If earth is where God's will is done all the time, he wouldn't have prayed that. Sometimes on earth it is, sometimes it isn't. So we have to understand the why. Like, why would Jesus pray that? Why would he ask us to pray that? You ready for this? Because there are other wills at work. There are other wills at play. And there are painful moments that we have happen in our lives. And we're like, oh, why did this happen? God, is this your will? There are other wills at play. Now, God gave us free will. Uh, think about, think, think about, oh, wow. God is so incredible that he gave us the choice to respond to him, not just you have to do this. Imagine if God is in heaven and he's got a giant taser and every single time we're about ready to make a mistake, if he just zapped us, like I don't know if it's 10,000 volts or, or watts or whatever, he's like Thor's hammer right on your head, I smite thee, Valhalla, any of that stuff, and he just he stops us before we would make a mistake. What would happen? The universe would be gripped with fear. And that's not the relationship that he wants. So what does he do? He gives us 
free will, as messy as that is. So we can either choose to partner with him in all the goodness that he is, in his incredible plan, or we can do our own thing. And he's given us that right. But the world is a wild place. I think we can agree. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he is, I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is uh, unbelievable. I'll, I'll, I'll put this on our, our, um, our downtown Instagram later on today. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if a state of war in the universe is a price worth paying for human response, then it must be worth it. If the fact that the world and the universe are an absolute war zone because God chose to give us free will so that we could choose to respond to Jesus simply because we want to, not because we have to, then it must be worth it. What do you, also, what do you call C.S. Lewis? You call him C.S.? You call him C.S. Lewis, the whole thing. I never really figured that one out. All right, just, hey, so C.S. said that. I don't know, is that weird? That's weird to say C.S. said that. It's odd. Evil, evil uh, that happens in the world, like we're talking about pain, the problem with pain. A lot of the evil things that happen in the world, they're a result of this creative freedom and this liberty that God has so freely given us. And all he really is asking us, like, hey, choose to respond to an invitation that I give you. So what are the other wills that are at work here? Like, think about this for a second. What are the other wills that are at work? So first of all, there's God's will, right? Like we, it's God's will. It is, it is happening. But there's also your will. Like your will is part of your soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. But there are other people's will. And there are some pretty messed up people out there. Evil people, angry people that do very mean things. So there's other people's will. And then the last but not least, we've got Satan and the powers of darkness. You're like, whoa, Neil, like we were talking about wills, and then all of a sudden we went to Satan and the powers of darkness. Like, how do we, we took a, we took a sharp turn there. Um, all right, let me, just, let me just be honest with you. Most people, well-educated people, especially Western cultured mindset, like that's what we are, the, the culture that we live in. Uh, there are people in this room that are doctors. We have, uh, we have professors in here. We have business owners we have a lot of intelligent people. We, right now in here, we have a difficult time wrestling with this, this thought that Satan is real. What our culture has done, maybe not you personally, but what our culture has done, I want you to think of this categorically. It's all the way over there. On that side of the room, we're going to put all the bad things over there in that category. All the things, it's, it's almost like Satan has become an abstract thought instead of an actual person. And what if, like what if, the, what the Bible says is true? And I'll tell you that. So Colossians 1.16, it very clearly says that there is a real devil, that Satan is real. It talks about demons and spirits as princes, principalities, heavenly beings and powers. There are forces at work. The Bible says that Satan is a liar. He is the father of all lies. There is no truth in him. He is real. But here's the, oh gosh, we got to get this. A lot of us, we can take this way too far to one side, especially Christians. And I'm not picking on anybody, but you'll, you'll know who I'm picking on. It's, if it's you, it's, don't raise your hand. But a lot of times what we do is we get into a fight or we have this moment that happens. Like you're with your spouse or a friend and you're in the car and you're coming back from the grocery store and you are having a knockdown, drag out fight. We're like, oh, I cannot believe this is happening. And the devil just be so busy sometimes. He devil beat is one of my favorite things that Rick says, Pastor Rick. I mean, the devil, he just be so busy sometimes. Well, yeah, 
Or maybe you're really stressed out from work and you're being kind of a jerk. Is the devil really making you do all that? Or are you kind of being a jerk? Like, just be honest with it for a second. We tend to blame things over here instead of just taking full responsibility for it. Now, here's why this is important, and this is very important. When we disagree on whether or not Satan is real and he exists, the problem is we can tend to blame other people. We can tend to even blame ourselves, or more dangerously, we can blame painful things that happen on God. That's dangerous. That's why this whole concept thing is not okay. Like, we just got to look right at the word, and what does the word say? You're like, okay, what about natural disasters? It's like a hurricane. And there's, I know, and there's tectonic plates. There's global warming. I get that. And I don't really have an explanation. I don't need to do all that. Billy Joel wrote, we didn't start the fire. Just go listen to it. There's 116 catastrophic events that happen in that song. We don't have to really get into it. Do we live in a fallen world? Yes. Can we please move on? Okay. Yeah, it rained a lot last night. I understand that. But is that God's fault? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we can tend to wrestle with it. We almost get, like, God all this credit. And he's like, bro, I don't need that. Like, don't do that to me. Sometimes when we see things that happen around us, we can incorrectly assign it to God and say, well, that's his fault. And that's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. So I want to go back for a second to John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. I went to vacation Bible school. I think I was 10. I was maybe 9. And they had a thing where they would give you candy if you could memorize a verse of the Bible. And I walked in there, <laughs> boldness in my voice. And I, I literally walked in there and I said, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept, give me my Swedish fish. I want it right now. Like, this is such a simple scripture. But you guys, this is way deeper than that. It's not just two words. This is everything. This is actually the good news. When his friend died, what did Jesus do? Not why didn't he do all these things, but what did he do? It says Jesus wept. Now think about this. Jesus is creator God, and he cried. Jesus is sovereign, and he cried. Think about that response to a painful moment. I want you to imagine for a second, I want to paint a picture, a a visual here for you. I want you to imagine um, a guy who owns an art gallery. He owns an art gallery, and he has curated, spent his entire life pulling together different priceless pieces of art, paintings, sculptures, all of it. And this is his life's work. He has aggregated stuff from all over the world. This is his pride and joy. And one night, vandals break in, break down the front door, and they trash the place, destroy it. Spray paint things, rip things up, knock them over, break them, steal some things, and just leave it in ruins. When that... that Art gallery owner walks in, there's sirens going on outside, there are police officers got to go through and pass the police caution tape, and he sees this rubble. Can you imagine the grief that he is facing? Because all of this stuff that he has been working on for so long, he just sees it, and it is in pieces. It's gone, it's torn up. This is what happens when Jesus cries in this scripture. He is looking at and coming into this human story, and he sees the brokenness of pain and death. And what does he do? Remember, not why. What does he do? He very simply 
responds. It's not stoicism. It's not neglect. He cried and then he acted. You got to see that. He has a response and then he does something about it. A lot of times we want Jesus to fix everything, put all these pieces back together, and that's not necessarily how it works. And I know this sounds very simple, but I don't want you to miss this. This is the good news, that Jesus responded in that moment to pain. He's in it. He's in the middle of it. He is at work. He doesn't just fix things immediately in the deepest possible way. Jesus cares about it. God cares about it, and he is at work, listen, within it. Not just from the outside. I'm not just over here. I'm not going to do all this stuff. I'm going to hit move. I'll fix it. He is in the middle of it. And God, in the person of Jesus, what he did is he took evil in its rawest form. He took the brokenness, the sin, the hurt, the pain of all of this, and he put it on his shoulders and he went and took it to the cross. That's where he defeated it. That moment is good news. And a lot of times we want God to do this other thing and we forget that the good news is he headed it off at the pass right at the cross. He took it on his shoulders. He shouldered the pain way before we ever even had that moment. Now he puts it to death on the cross. This is something called substitutionary atonement. It's another thing that we don't say all the, all the time. Really, quite simply, what it means is Jesus dies so that we can live. In that moment, Jesus dies. And this is what it looks like when God is working within the pain of our lives. I'm about to give you guys a quote. There's a guy named Greg Boyd. He's way smarter than I am. He's a Bible professor, and he has this quote. I'm going to go through this slowly because I don't want you guys to miss this one. Here's what Greg said. He said, Christ's incarnation, that literally means God coming into human form on earth, Christ's incarnation, his death, and his resurrection reveal that though God is not culpable for evil, all culpable means is that he's not to blame, even though he's not to blame for the evil in the world, he nevertheless takes responsibility for the evil in the world. And in taking responsibility for it, he overcomes it. Get this. On the cross, God suffers at the hand of evil. I want you to think about this. In all of eternity, God and Jesus never been separated. In that moment, there was a separation. There was pain. That was a moment right there. And we are not alone in our suffering. you got to understand that Jesus entered into our suffering. God hasn't left us alone in our pain. God suffered at the hands of evil. Not the way that we think suffering. But there was a moment where that relationship, that bond was broken on our behalf. He goes on, he says, and in this suffering and through his resurrection, he, God, in principle, destroys evil through the cross and resurrection. Please get this. And evil is not something that God wills into existence. It is something that he wills out of existence. That's good news. That's incredibly encouraging. God's not the one that causes all of this stuff. We live in a, a very broken world. There are other wills involved. And Jesus on the cross meant that he was involved in healing human pain. He's not outside of it. He's not passive. He took sin and brokenness on himself to undo all the things that we have done. And I've done some things. And the answer to the problem of pain, Jesus didn't bring optimism. Jesus brought hope. And there's a huge difference. 
Hope isn't hakuna matata, okay? It's not, you know, don't worry, be happy. Optimism is human. It's man-made, and it is flimsy. No, 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 listen, listen. Jesus is king, and guess what? He's overcome all of it, and he's coming back. That's what hope is. That's what hope looks like. He is back from the dead. I want to read a section of scripture out of Romans chapter 8. Um, this is a uh, not shameless plug uh, for uh, Heart and Soul. We're actually doing it on Tuesday nights. We do Heart and Soul nights down at Nexus Coffee every Tuesday at 7. We're going through the book of Romans uh, little by little. We're not all the way to uh, Romans 8 yet. This is my second favorite chapter. My first favorite is uh, Romans 12, in case you guys are keeping notes and you're not on that. Okay, don't write that down. Romans 8. This is the Apostle Paul, okay? And here's what he says. He says, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is more or less being held back. God reigns it in. Until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. What hope did Jesus bring? What, what is this anticipation? It's, it's for that moment where we get to see Jesus face to face. Because he did what he said he was going to do. From the, the beginning of time, this is the plan. And we have free will. We can say yes to this. He is king over everything, and our hope is that no matter what happens, Jesus is back from the dead. He can take the broken pieces. He can make something beautiful. Uh, so you, if you guys remember that, the, the art gallery owner, I want you to think about this. And I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you for a second. I don't want to do this part. Um, doggone it, Bronson Duke. Uh, so we, Bronson and I talked about it, and Gina and I, we, we talked about it last night. There are probably, I think it's between 12 and 15 people that know this. Um, remember that, that art gallery owner, when he came back in and he looked at the broken pieces, the stolen things, the wreckage of it, and the sense of loss that goes along with that and the pain that comes with that. There's a reason why I use that example. Um, so Gene and I, if you guys know, we've been on SAF at New Life for about 12 years. We, went, we started a church in Columbus, Ohio, and we came back this year. But I have been wrestling with something since uh, April 26th, all the way up until now. And uh, there's not a single day that has gone by that I don't wrestle with this thing. And I, I just don't want you guys to think that while you're sitting there and I'm standing here, that means that I'm better or that I've got something conquered or that we're different. I'm, we wrestle with things. And so this is just a transparent moment. I'll be totally honest with you. I don't really want to say this, but I think that it will bring some hope to somebody because I am still in this process. On April 26th, uh, I, uh, I drove over to our storage unit because I spent the previous two days packing up everything from the church that we just shut the doors to in Columbus. And we put every camera, every speaker, every subwoofer, every soundboard, every drum machine, pianos, uh, cameras, hard drives, computers, kids toys everything into a trailer and I put locks on it and uh, two days after I put everything in there I was supposed to drive back down here and give it to this campus I was excited about it like it was like okay all this stuff that we worked so hard for we get to actually let it continue on and I drove up to the uh, the storage unit and four guys had gone on a 10-day crime spree and they finished off uh, with with our trailer and when I got to the trailer, 
the locks were broken off, the back of the trailers broken off, and I would say 90 plus percent of everything that was in there was gone. And we, you know, you file a police report, you do everything that you can, but there is this sense of just unbelievable loss. The stuff is one thing, but everything we did was on these hard drives and that is gone. It's almost like you have no proof of anything. It's like gone. Long story short, I don't have to really get into all of it, but uh, they caught two of the guys and um, they recovered a couple of things. Some of it was broken, very badly damaged or whatever, and you're rummaging through it in this massive lockup. And it is one of the most painful things to realize that you're not gonna get this stuff back. It wasn't even mine. I just looked at it as like, hey, we're gonna give this, we're gonna give this to the church. God, this is yours. And what I ended up wrestling with time and time again, especially at the onset, is God, why? Like, did I do something wrong? Should I have bought a better lock? I don't, I don't know. Like, God, why would we do all this stuff and then get to that point and then there's nothing to show for it? And I kept asking that question over and over and over again. I just want you guys to know something. When we look in the Bible, in the middle of our painful moments, and we keep asking God that question, why? We're not going to see an answer for that. But if we look in the Bible and say, God, how are you responding to moments of pain? And what are you doing? And then turn that around and say, what are you doing in my life? There's an answer there. And the simple answer is this. The good news is that when we dig through the pain and disappointment, and we say, Jesus, I need you, he does it. Because all Jesus really wants out of this is a relationship. That's all he cares about. The good news is he did all that stuff not to fix all this stuff for you and make your life all this other stuff. He did it because he loves you. In Acts chapter 23, the apostle Paul, he just got done with this massive trial and they throw him in jail and he's in jail, shackled behind bars. And the Bible says the Lord showed up in the jail cell and sat there and ministered to him. It's incredible. Like God didn't, he could have smite, smoted, smited. I don't know what the word is, but he could have done whatever he wanted to do to whoever he wanted to. He could have made the jail go away. And he didn't. He chose to sit there with Paul in his painful moment because the most important thing is that Jesus wants to be with you in it and he's not going anywhere. That's the good news. The answer isn't, God, why? There is no answer for that. You're never going to figure that out. That's the thing that I, Gene and I were just talking about this last night. I'm not going to... I'm not going to figure out the why. And I don't care. Now, she she asked me something. She goes, Neil, is this... uh, she goes, is this, is this something you can talk about because you're, you're there? And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not there. I'm not there yet, but I'm in the fight, and that's what I want you guys to see. I want you to understand that you're not alone in this, and I'm not teaching you something that I've got conquered. I'm teaching you something that I am learning right now in the process, and the what, like, God, what is your response? Just like that guy at the very top, he said, I make a choice to jump in the mess for other people. That's exactly what Jesus did. And he's not leaving. So if you were going through a painful moment, stop asking why. 
Say, God, what is your response? Jesus cried, and then he acted. He's right there with you in the middle of it.